Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Welcome back to Channel Journeys. This is Rob Spee, your host. Thank you so much for listening. All right, I survived Thanksgiving and eating way too much turkey as always. And despite a global pandemic, I have to say I still have so much to be thankful for, including all of my fantastic podcast guests and you, of course, my listeners. Now we're edging closer and closer to year end. We're getting closer to Christmas and Hanukkah as well. Very exciting. And I'm thankful as well for my sponsor of Channel Journeys, Magentrix. Magentrix is a PRM tech company I learned about recently that specializes in creating web portals with full integration to your CRM, whether it's Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, HubSpot, and other systems. If you are in the market for a PRM or you're looking for a partner portal, you've got to go check these guys out and see how quickly they can stand up and automate a super rich PRM for all those key elements you need in your partner program. Things like deal registration, pricing and quoting, content delivery, incentive tracking, your partner training and certifications, and and many other things that can be automated and integrated with your systems. Go check them out at Magentrix.com or look for them on the Salesforce App Exchange. There they have a five-star rating review. And I'll have a special offer for you at the end of today's show on Magentrix. Okay, launching and growing a successful channel business requires many skills. Perhaps the most important is your ability to build trust and alignment, both internally and externally. That's so important. Partnerships are based on relationships and they're based on trust. So you have got to be aligned. Today's guest is Jason Cutter. He is the host of the Sales Experience Podcast, a great sales podcast. And he's also the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And it's pretty important that you are authentic in your partnership. So are you ready to learn how you can gain influence and success in both channel sales and channel management through authentic persuasion? Let's go. Hey, Jason, good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Rob. It's another beautiful day and excited to get to chat with you. Excellent. And where do we find you today? I am in California. I live about an hour north of San Francisco, a terrible place, Napa, Sonoma, coast, north, you know, coast. Poor dude. That is a tough, tough racket. Well, I do yeah. feel for you, though, because you guys have horrible flyers recently out there. Yeah. So right now is an okay time. The last three months or so has actually been uh, unpleasant. You know, we've been safe, but when the fires are, you know, 10 miles away and for the third year in a row, you're just kind of used to it and ready to, to run at any moment. It's not so pleasant. So now it's kind of in a, in a better time. Man, I hope that that clears out for good for you guys. It's, that's really rough. It's been rough for the entire Western country. Unbelievable this, this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just gives something to distract you from the pandemic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the bright side. Exactly. Yeah. Well, The distraction today is Selling with Authentic Persuasion. I want to talk to you about that. And you wrote a book. You're the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion. You're the host of the Sales Experience Podcast. You've got your own consulting group. You uh, are staying pretty busy. What? Tell us what is authentic persuasion, just to kick it off. Yeah, for 
basically my background and kind of entry into sales and, and time in sales is similar to a lot of people where it wasn't a plan I had. I fell into sales. You know, life took me many different directions. My first sales job, I'm going to use air quotes, my first official selling job came when I was 27 in the mortgage industry. Housing boom was going nuts. It, it didn't actually require any sales because you were essentially order taking because everyone just <laughs> wanted it and needed it. it like yeah. literally the joke was if you answer your phone every once in a while and call people back sometimes, you'll make six figures. Like it Man. was just, you know, that was it. Which of course, all those things kind of come to an end, but I didn't yep. really learn much about sales. I've never worked somewhere where they taught me anything about sales. I had to figure it out on my own. And what I realized is the way that I sell and the way I've helped a lot of other people sell, which is just being authentic, being real, being a human, wanting to do the right thing for other people, and then persuading them because it's what they need, not what I need as a salesperson, but what they need and what they'll benefit from. I started working on this book a couple of years ago as kind of culmination of the basics of what I've always done and what I've taught other people to do successfully who are not, let's say, natural born salespeople, which I don't think yeah. exists. There's just a charismatic personality type that most people think is what it takes for sales. And then there's everybody else. And so started writing the book and then came up with the authentic persuasion framework and title for it. And really, it's about helping people embrace their duty and responsibility as salesperson and make that shift from order taker into sales professional without having to go to, I'll call it the dark side of manipulation and tricks and tactics, which yeah. nobody likes and doesn't work long term anyway. Which is the kind of stereotypical sales guy, right? That Yeah. That people hate. Uh, yeah. And that's where usually the challenge comes in is that people then get into sales and they bring with them baggage and experiences. And so what happens is everyone was a customer or, you know, in their family and watch their parents be a customer to a salesperson. If they had a negative experience, then all of a sudden they get into sales and they're like, I I, nobody wants to be a hypocrite. So they don't want to do to other people what they hate being done to themselves. And so they end up defaulting all the way over to order taker because they would never want to be that person. And I think a, the world doesn't want to buy from that person, even if they do every once in a while. And B, there's a fantastic spot in the middle, which is authentic persuasion. Well, I, I wanted to have you on the show, Jason, because I'm, I'm really interested in this topic. And it's not something that we've talked about much on my program. We've talked a lot about channel issues, channel programs, channel strategy, channel marketing. But there is a huge sales job that you have to do as a channel manager, not not to the end customer. That's that's definitely plays a role in channel sales. And we can talk about that. But even as a channel manager, you constantly have to persuade. You have to sell your company. You have to sell your products. You have to sell your channel program. And you have to sell internally to convince your sales teams and your management to even have a channel strategy. And then you got to sell to the partners to convince them to take you on as a product line. So this is a really interesting topic. And I want to take what you've learned and what you've written about and apply it into the roles of the folks that typically are listening to this program. Yeah. And that's where, like on, you mentioned my podcast, uh, on my podcast, I say that everything in life is sales, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, relationships, business, there's people who wouldn't identify themselves as a salesperson. Let's say your channel manager, maybe they don't think of themselves as a salesperson, but you, you said it correctly. I mean, if they, if they want to get their, the, you know, your boss to agree with your ideas, your initiatives or strategies, or, you know, keep your position in the company and, and show that you are doing a good job, it's all persuasion. And I think it's a really challenging 
sales persuasion role when you're a channel manager because you're trying to get somebody to take action and basically sell what you're offering as a you know 1099-ish independent contractor who has lots of choices which is tough versus you know when you you know you're directly selling to the end user or you're paying somebody a salary and you're trying to sell them to work harder right right so Diving a little bit further, you talked a little bit about being authentic. Why is that so important in sales? Obviously, you don't want to be manipulative, but and what does authentic mean to you and, and why is it so important in the selling role? So authentic for me is really based on self-awareness at a real level and understanding who you are, what your strengths are, what you bring to the table, why you're doing what you're doing, I think is a big aspect to the authenticity piece. Not just going through the motions, not just doing what you think you should do. Okay, I just want to make a a bunch of money. Like, why do you want to do it? And nothing wrong with making a lot of money, but why do you want to make that money? What's the money for? Like, what are you going to put on a vision board? What what drives you? What, What are you going to get up every day and be excited to work towards? Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just impact. But what is that for you? And then really understanding your strengths in your sales style and your approach, and then bringing that with you into the conversation and not trying to be something else. And I see this a lot where somebody in a sales role sitting next to a lot of times, let's say in a call center or in a retail store, sitting sitting or standing next to somebody and they watch what that other person does, it seems to work for them. So they start to copy that. And it's Mm -hmm. not who they are. It's not their style. It's not what they like. And you can pretend and act for a little bit, but then it it doesn't work long-term. So being authentic in your sales style is what do you like? Do you like data? Do you like facts? Do you like figures? Do you tell stories? I mean, there's you you go out there and there'll people tell you you gotta be telling stories and you gotta structure your stories a certain way. Like, yes, you should always work on getting better, but you also have to at some level be yourself and what works for you and be authentic. And at the end of the day, just be a human, right? Like people want to buy from a human, not someone who's just trying to convince them of something, just be real and be honest and authentic. So that's, that's the first part of it. You know, it's funny, Jason, I, I I went through this and I was, I think, inauthentic for quite a long time and and very unsuccessful because of it. (laughs) And, uh, I, I grew up as Rob and I was, that was me, that was my personality. And then I thought I had to adopt this professional person, uh, persona. And I called myself Robert and it, I wasn't really true to myself. And I tried to be like how my, my boss acted or how someone else I saw was successful was acting. And then I finally realized, wait a sec, I just got to be myself. So I just said, I'm Rob again. <laughs> and and uh, that just that kind of like that one thing triggered it. I started feeling more like my old self and just try to be true to who I was in all my business dealings. And it, it did make a difference. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's always easier to remember the truth. I also think there's a lot of energy that's spent when somebody's trying to pretend to be somebody else, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes that might work. And, and I'm not talking like there's mirroring and there's, you know, being who your customer needs you to be in that conversation, that moment. I'm just talking like you're just talking about the deeper level and just being who you are instead of trying to act or pretend, okay, well, I watched Wolf of Wall Street, so I've got to act like that person when I'm selling. It's like, A, don't, and B, like you, you just won't be able to sustain it. That's just not, it, it's not going to work. And people will pick up on an, a, a subconscious level. When you're real and authentic and who you are and, you know, it, with the right intentions, but, you know, you make mistakes, you mess up, you stumble, you forget things. I mean, that's just, that's just life. That's just real. Yeah. What, what do you think prevents people from being authentic? 
in, in their business dealings? You know, I think a lot of it is kind of what you said, which is people think, okay, I've got to act this way. Successful business person equals X, right? Yeah. Successful business person equals Steve Jobs. It's Bill Gates. It's what I've got to do and I've got to be this person, right? And it's the act as if, and it's all this motivational stuff and you just see it. And it's, it's bombarding our feeds, no matter what social media you're on. It's just everywhere saying like, here's what success looks like. And so people think like, okay, I've got to do that. If I'm not successful, I want to be I've got to copy that person. And -hmm. there's activities and actions to copy, right? This person puts in this effort or focuses on this or, you know, does these actions, but not who they are. And I think that's where people struggle. They think, okay, I've got to put on this persona to win in business. Yeah. I think there's some fear involved too. And and fear of being vulnerable, you know, by exposing yourself. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's one of the big things, and I cover this a lot in the book. It, it, it kind of, as I'm going through it, it's it started to become more of a psychology book, which is funny <laughs> because my bachelor's degree is in marine biology, so it doesn't make any sense. But I, I feel like I have an honorary degree in psychology after all the years uh, of dealing with sales, is that all of us have that part in our brain, which is afraid, the amygdala. It's the primal part, the lizard brain, you can call it whatever you want. But it's the part that's focused on keeping us alive. And Mm -hmm. it still thinks, for some people more than others, it still thinks that it's 10, 20, however many thousand years ago you want to imagine. And you're on the plains and you're fighting for survival every day and eating the wrong berry could get you killed. There's an animal trying to kill you around every corner that you have to watch out for. And because we are a tribal society, that if I do something wrong that upsets the tribe, they're going to kick me out. And then if I'm on my own out in the, in the wilderness, I will die. Like I can't yeah. defend myself against saber-toothed tigers. I need the tribe. I'll do anything I have to to not get kicked out, which is why people don't like public speaking. They don't like taking risks. They don't like starting a podcast, even if they want to, because they're like, oh my gosh, what if no one (laughs) likes it? What if I get kicked out of the tribe of humans? Yeah. And it's really hard to get kicked out of the tribe of humans, even if you do really bad stuff. But that part is still in there. And that's what also affects people in their sales careers. They're just worried about, you know, what are people going to think? And so they end up doing nothing or defaulting Mm -hmm. to order taker. Yep. So order taker, tell us a little bit more about that. I can, I can envision, you know, the orders are just <laughs> flowing in, but in your book, you kind of expand on order taker and there, there are different forms of that too, right? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that it's usually what happens is somebody who they're maybe good at building rapport. They have some level of care and empathy for the other person. So they care and they're at an intersection of usually not enough training, not enough coaching or leadership in their sales career, where they don't understand what their job is really to do in sales, and they don't know how to effectively do it, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't know what's in the toolbox. They're, they're not getting the appropriate amount of coaching. And I know this not just because of what I do now, but just so many organizations I've seen where you know people just show up and you know hopefully they can sell. If not, we'll just hire somebody else and turnover is just terrible. And so- And then also, like I said earlier, that person in that sales role had usually bad experiences at some level, and they vow not to do that to other people. And so they're just defaulting to order taker. And what that really looks like is somebody who's good at presenting the information, presenting the demo or the product or the service, maybe asking some questions, but usually not because they don't want to upset the other person by Mm -hmm. asking too many questions. And then what happens is they give this good demo presentation. 
And then their main strategy is hope. They're hoping yeah. the other person is going to see the value for themselves and go, yes, I would like that. Here's my money. But you know that only works a small percentage of the time. The rest of it would require persuasion and action. Uh, and that's just the, the line they don't want to cross because they think to do that requires manipulation and tricks yeah. uh, instead of persuasion. So I, I can, you know, put that in terms of a channel role. It's it's yeah. kind of the classic channel manager whose idea of of selling is going out and having lunch or dinner with the partner, maybe giving a presentation, but not really asking those in-depth challenging questions, not really having an in-depth business conversation. Or when they're meeting with the sales teams, kind of the same thing, you know, just kind of presenting, hey, here's my partner. It'd be great if you worked with them, but not really getting into that in-depth conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you when we're talking about the channel partners, which is, you know, to me, again, goes back to everything is, is sales at some level and persuade persuasion. For me, the key thing with a, a channel partner, channel manager that is true for anyone in sales is you must, if you want to be successful as a sales professional, you must know the answer to why that other person needs what you're offering. Mm -hmm. right? Why they need to buy from you. As a channel manager, it's not why they need to buy from you, but it would be why do they, for their reasons, need or want to be successful with what you're offering? How is it going to help them? And for a channel manager, it'd be like, what would that channel partner put on their vision board? What are they striving for? How would this help them? Either direct revenue or opening doors for relationships for what they do. Like I'm a consultant. So I have channel partnerships where the channel, the channel is a way for me to open conversations that then might lead to consulting, right? So what, what do you know about that channel partner and why do they want to do it? Because if you don't know why, you're just, it's all hope. You're just hoping they know why. If you know why, then that's the basis of all the conversations, which is, okay, so based on that, here's what I think we should do. Here's how I can support you. Here's what you should do strategy-wise, um, because this is why you want it. I, you know, I don't care. I've got lots of people I could talk to, but I want to help you because here's what you want. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, I had that kind of similar conversation this morning. We were talking about this topic, and what we see sometimes are sales reps, when they're getting introduced to a partner or want a partner to introduce them to a customer of theirs, not realizing that they've got to think about that. What is the value to that partner for them to get engaged with us in the first place? And there's a bit of selling there. It's not, you just can't assume that he's just going to bring us in, introduce us to our, to their customer just because, you know, for whatever reason, <laughs> they, they have to be sold on it. It's not that we can't treat them like they're our employee in most cases. It's not a good idea. No. And, and that's, that's where channel manager becomes really challenging because it's not the employee that you can motivate in the same way you would an employee or with consequences, right? Positive or negative, the carrot or the stick. And so it's kind of like a customer, the end user being sold anything where they don't have to do it, mm -hmm. but they're, and they're the intermediary. So I think it's actually even more challenging because you've got two layers of people you have to do it. Um, and in a role like you've gotten with your team as a channel manager, then one of the things I would say is obviously get really good at the persuasion piece and understanding why a partner would want to do it, what their why is, why they, you know, basically what keeps them up at two o'clock or wakes them up at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat and how could this channel partnerships help solve that or alleviate that, right? Or what goals do they have? And then actually coaching and teaching and training the channel partners 
on using that same approach on their end so that they're successful and they're not just order takers. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is don't go in and ask him what keeps you up at 2 a.m. It's you should know that going into the meeting, what what his challenge is and how you're going to solve it. And if you don't, then that means you didn't ask enough questions and you didn't probe deep enough, which if you've already got relationships going and you realize, oh my gosh, I don't know to the answer to this question, no problem. You know, have that be the next conversation. Hey, mm-hmm. you know what? I want to support you. Tell me, tell me like what matters to you. Why is this important to you? Why would you want to be successful with this? You know, how is this going to help you? What do you have going? And then just probe and dig deep in an empathetic way um, to get that to even if you're, you know, past that point, just go backwards, figure that out, and then have that moving forward. So moving to the persuasion piece, which is so important, where where do most people get it wrong in being persuasive? Um, you know, uh, oh man, that's so tough. I'd say, let's see, if there's one one way that most people get it wrong is they pers- they think persuading somebody to buy, or they think sales, right? We'll just use the word sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think sales is all about telling somebody the features and the benefits and getting, you know, telling somebody about how great I am, my company is, my product or service is, and then that's what's going to get them to buy. And so where most people in sales, in my opinion, do it incorrectly and ineffectively uh, at scale, because it works sometimes, it's just not enough, is that they lead with the monologue. They lead Mm -hmm. with reading the brochure. They lead with all the information about me. And here's the fundamental thing. And this hurts when I tell some people this, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about you. In this case here, nobody cares about your channel. Nobody cares about your product or service, right? Because there's tons of options. And for them to do something equals change and change is dangerous to that primal part of our brain. And so people want to know that you care, right? The, The quote is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Even in a channel partnership, like, do you care about me? Do you want me to be successful? Okay, now let's talk about what you want me to sign up for. But if you think about most people's experience, like if you go to a trade show or a conference, you walk up to a booth, What's the first thing that happened? All they do is they just go into their long monologue about mm-hmm. their product, their service, who they are, how great they are, their logos, uh, their awards. Nobody cares, right? Because it, it, like that's just a hope strategy and and they're hoping they say something that works and that doesn't work at scale. Yeah, I've seen so many presentations by channel managers to potential partners where here's my company, here's my product, here are the features, here's the products, uh, here now maybe a little bit about the partner program. Oh, by the way, here's here's how you might make some money with us. You know, and they, yeah. they've lost them by the time they get to the very most important topic. And what happens with that strategy, and I see this all the time, and I'm doing my best to fix this with every client I have, is that that's okay and that's the standard. But again, what's in it for me? That channel partner that just sat through that thing, like what's in it for them? Why would they? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking the money. Like, of course, the money, right? You could lead with the money part. But but again, the money's just a vehicle. So what's in it for them and why should they care? Why Why should they care? Why should Bob care about your program and be excited about it? And mm-hmm. that's where flipping it around if you had 30 minutes to spend, and I train people on this all the time, if you have 30 minutes, a 30 minute demo call, if you spend the first 20 minutes asking questions and digging deep, not just pointless rapport, right? Pointless rapport is important in the beginning for a few mm-hmm. minutes, but I mean like actually digging deep, asking questions, having a dialogue, showing empathy, active listening, those kind of things. And you only had 10 minutes for the rest of the presentation. 
that's fine because you're like, okay, based on what you said, I have these 82 slides. I'm going to skip these. Let's go to this part right here. Based on what you told me, here's what matters most to you. Let me let me talk about this. I'll send this to you. You can look at our logos. You can look at all the other stuff, blah, blah. We're great. We're amazing. Like, this is literally what I say on demos myself is, uh, yeah, we're great. I'll send it to you. You'll see that we're great. But here's what matters to you. Here's mm-hmm. what's important to you. And I think here's what would be successful, help you be successful as a channel partner is right here because you deal with these kind of clients. Here's this kind of program. Here's what it could mean. And then here's some numbers. And why is being yourself, being authentic, so important to the persuasion side of this? I mean, I think it's all of it because people want to buy from somebody that they can relate to, but also they feel like is a human and has their best interest in mind and is just being real. Yeah. The challenge is, here's the problem, is that most people in the world are afraid of salespeople, right? Because we've all had experiences, because yep. we've all had issues, and we don't want to be taken advantage of. Right? You walk and if into nobody, a store, it's like, oh no, they're coming after me. I, I got to run. Right? And so what happens when people go into a retail store? Hey, is there something I can help you with? No, I'm just looking, right? Exactly. That's defensive. Even if I'm going into a store and I know what I need, unless I, I am really prepared to, to, to fight the battle or pr- defend my, my money, I'm going to say, I don't need help. I'm just looking right now for me. When I go into a store, if I know what I want, I go into a camera store and I need a camera. It's like, here's what I need. I need a camera like this. I need this. They say, what's your budget? I say, here's my budget. Okay, let's go. Right. So I'm, I'm an easy customer, but I know what I want. Otherwise, no, I go into a furniture store and I'm just looking, uh, I'm just looking, stay away. You're not talking me into anything today. And so the problem is, is the world feels that way. And if nobody, if somebody doesn't believe me, check what uh, job titles a lot of people have who are salespeople, account executive, whatever. It's like usually not salesperson. Right. And so the challenge is, is people enter a conversation with a person who they know is trying to sell them something. The guard is up. The more authentic and real and human with your uh, good intentions in mind to help the other person, those guards come down much faster because they're just human. I mean, there's there's times where like making a mistake and, and messing things up, but you like trying to do it, it works so well because people are like, okay, this person's obviously not trying to rip me off. He's like he's even struggling with with, let's say struggling with Zoom or struggling with this PowerPoint. Like obviously, this isn't boiler room. So, okay, this guy's just trying to help me. And I think that's where that fits in. It's really important. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a chapter on sales success intangibles, which I think are kind of like a collection of, of other key tips. Yeah. And I, I want to maybe dive into a few of those and see if those are something that our channel folks could leverage. Are there any you know, couple I think, of favorites that you want to mention? Yeah, yeah, I think one of the, the biggest ones is pausing. One of the telltale signs of an order taker and somebody who's not operating like a sales professional is when I listen to them talk and they pause. And I don't mean the strategic pausing, which is, hey, you know, this is going to be $5,000 and then you pause, right? Because the next person that talks loses, right? Mm -hmm. Not not talking about that strategy. I'm talking about like you ask me a question. I answered that question. So it's an objection. You have some kind of issue. And then I answer the question as the salesperson and then I pause which is what a lot of people do, right? So you say, hey, what's the fee going to be? Uh, the fees, you know, and I go on my ramble, blah, blah, and here's what the fee's going to be, and then I pause. The problem is, is that nature hates a vacuum, 
right? It wants to fill it. Your prospect is scared. We talked about that. And so they're going to want to fill that. So they're going to fill it with another question. And then you answer and you pause and then another question. And so sales professionals and somebody who's in control is going to keep moving the conversation forward. You answer the question and then go back to whatever you were talking about or ask them a, a follow-up question. And I don't mean pure reversing, which is what some yeah. people would teach, which is don't answer questions, answer questions with a question without actually answering their question. I'm not talking about that terrible habit. I mean like answering and then moving forward. If you do that, I've seen people get more sales success and more progression in their conversations by just fixing that one habit almost more than anything else. Hmm. And and you differentiated it from the negotiation pause, which has a, an important reason Correct. for doing that. And is this like, okay, you you ask a question, the, they answer it, and you follow on quickly with maybe a, a question to take it down, peeling back the onion, you know, like the five whys type of approach? Somewhat. I mean, it depends on the situation, right? Mm -hmm. So in this part here, like you asked me, okay, what's, you know, I'm talking about something, you interrupt me, say, hey, what's the, the fee for this? Or, or what's the commitment? What's the terms? And then I answer it. You know, uh, usually what I'll do and what I teach people to do is just really short answers first. Is, mm -hmm. there, is there a contract? Yes. Is there a fee? Yes. Right. Depending on, you know, what you're selling. Somebody asked it a second time. Okay. This is obviously a hot button item. And so I use this thing called empathetic reversing, which is, hey, Rob, let me ask you, why is the contract length important to you, right? I'm going to answer the question and then I'm going to go into that. Hey, mm -hmm. Rob, tell me, why is this contract length important to you? Why is it a contract important to you? Then usually what happens is somebody will say, well, I don't like doing contracts. I did one last time and I got burned and blah, blah, blah. And so now all of a sudden I have this bit of information, which I can either address and talk about how we're different, you know, help overcome that fear and move past it, handle it in many different ways. Most salespeople, they don't ask. So they just go into battle mode where they just want to, you know, somebody asks about the contract and then they just do this long monologue and they're dancing around and they're just kind of throwing out lots of stuff instead of getting to the heart. I want to get to the heart. Why do you keep asking me about the fee, Rob? Like, why mm. are we talking? Like, what, what is this? How can I help you? And so usually find out something. And then, you know, this is the key for salespeople is a lot of times somebody has an objection about an issue that they had before, or somebody says, I never sign contracts, or I would never pay a fee for this or whatever that might be. And then what I always teach people is I, I don't care what they've done in the past. I just have to be better than their fears and better than the last person they, they didn't buy from. You, you have another one. In the list, cancellation paradox, and yep. I didn't, I didn't even have time to read it, but the name caught my eye. I thought I want to find out more <laughs> about that. <laughs> what is that? So, if we look at the spectrum, I'm gonna, how do I, say, I don't want to say bad salespeople. So people who uh, close <laughs> less, deals, less successful. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I mean intention wise. So people okay. who their their main goal and strategy is their own needs and wants over the prospective customer's needs and wants. And it might involve a lot of manipulation and tricks, and they don't really care what happens to the other person beyond saying yes, paying so they can make their money. So we got that end of the spectrum. They generally will trigger a lot of buyer's remorse because once the the magic wears off of the conversation, the charisma, the stories, you know, the manipulation, whatever it is, once that wears off, the person then goes, oh my gosh, that sucks. I didn't want to do that. How do I cancel? How do I return it? I want a refund. I'm going to do a chargeback. You know, depending on your industry, there's going to be something like that, right? I'm just going to complain about them online. 
there's some some ramification, some something happens as a result. And then the other end of the spectrum is the order takers, which we've been talking about, which is they are so much on the rapport and the empathy and the opt-in, they don't ever ask for the sale. And so anybody who does buy from them is completely on board asking to buy, right? Somebody was like, okay, how do I sign up? I would like to buy at no, based on no skill of the salesperson and no, nothing they actually said. And so it, you have those two ends. And so on one end, you have the manipulating type salesperson and they trigger a lot of cancels and refunds. And then you have the order taker on the other end, which those people are basically begging to buy and you have no cancels and refunds, but you also have a really clo low closing rate. Now, what I feel, and this is where the cancellation paradox comes in, is that to be successful in sales, it requires persuasion. And persuasion is the act of getting somebody to take action and positive, like I focus on positive persuasion, getting them to take action on something that will benefit them, the customer. Now, in order to take action, they have to change. Change means they have to get out of their comfort zone and away from that primal part of their brain that's scared of change, which means they're doing something new. Even changing brands of paper towels is change. And who knows what could happen? That could be terrible, right? What if I don't like this paper towel? And so in sales, you're going to need to get people. If you want to close more deals, you have to persuade people to take action. And sometimes what's going to happen is some people, when you're closing more sales using persuasion, some people are still going to regret it. They're still going to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe Jason talked me into buying that thing, which is their primal part, just freaking out. And so what <laughs> happens is you actually, when you close more deals and you become more successful using persuasion, you actually will have an acceptable amount of refunds, cancellations, returns, maybe even complaints because you kind of had to push some people out of their comfort zones and some people aren't going to like it. And so there's this, every industry is different, but there's a certain balance of how many cancels means you're actually doing a good job because it means you push some people to out of their comfort zone for what they wanted. Right. Right. How about we've been talking about closing. What about earlier in the cycle, more in terms of, terms of lead conversion? And I think that's an area that you focus in a lot in your consulting, right? Yep. How do you apply this, uh, this authentic persuasion and how does that help you do have a better conversion rate of, of marketing leads, inbound leads, wherever they are, and turning those into opportunities that can develop into a, a win, a closed deal? You know, I think it really comes down to being super clear in your mind. And then obviously with marketing, what your product or service does, who it's for, what problem it solves or value it provides and knowing who that that is crystal clear right mm -hmm. and and knowing okay i know i sell this and you know this solves this person's problem i know what keeps them up at night and then when you understand that and you understand either what they're worried about struggling with or what goals they have and where they want to get in their life then the marketing is speaking to that again a lot of times what happens with brands companies, especially startups, and I, I see this with a lot of tech companies, is they mm -hmm. feel like they've invented the, the next best thing since sliced bread, as the saying goes. And so they just figure everyone's going to want it. It's amazing. It does all these things. It's for everybody. Everyone's going to want it. We're going to be the next unicorn. You're going to want to be a part of this. And the challenge is, is that's too broad and you're hoping the right people get it versus like, here's the problem we solve and here's who we're talking to and having those avatars where the right person sees your lead marketing branding and they go, yeah, that's me. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so you've already got a leg up on lead conversion when you've approached it from that from that perspective. And the big key too, and this is where the authenticity comes in, is a lot of organizations are are split because they see marketing is one department and sales is another department. Typically it's it's sales versus marketing and there's kind of this like battle going on and the that be- causes a challenge because in the real world in life what's happening is marketing, branding, lead generation is starting a conversation even if it's just a logo, it's starting a conversation in that prospective client's mind. They're they're having a conversation in their head based on what they're seeing, reading, watching, and they're they're having this conversation in their own mind. And we all do it. We all see something and we're like, okay, something's going on in our head. The problem is, is then they actually get to a salesperson and the salesperson has a completely different conversation going on out of their mouth. And they're talking about something different or a different approach or a different intention. And then there's this, this rub, this disconnect. And then that's what loses a lot of deals because people are like, well, in their mind, that's not what I thought I was getting into. And so it's really important to have everything cohesive that's saying the same story. Remember, it's one customer, it's one client that's starting in marketing, passing through sales, going to fulfillment or account management, or service, whatever that looks like. It's one person. So everyone should be saying the same story and and helping someone in the same way through that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is really super interesting stuff and helpful, I think, for our, for our channel sales and channel manager folks. I'm going to j- switch tracks a little bit. And I always like to find out a little bit about my guest's journey. And I'm curious how you went from uh, a marine biology student in Santa Cruz. And I want to find out, is that really just a surfing degree or or, or is that serious? And then how did you no. go from there to, to where okay. you are today? So, it's funny because I want to say it was really serious. Uh, it, I was not I was not in the, the surf. I don't know if there was a surf club. I wasn't in the scuba diving club. Uh, and I wasn't on the frisbee club, but I did play, <laughs> I did play flag football. But it's funny because at the time when I went to UC Santa Cruz, which was 96 to 98, it was still no, there was no grades. You, no you got grades. a degree, but everything was, yeah, no, it was all via narrative evaluations from each professor. So you would get a, a narrative eval, but no grade. It was pass or fail. So don't technically have a GPA. I got all passes, but some professors would write a six page narrative evaluation about everything, every paper, every test, activity in class, you know, events. Sometimes you'd get two sentences. This student did. Uh, average along the mean, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, hippie school, no fraternities or sororities, like just a, a different experience. But yeah, <laughs> I I I went there, degree in marine biology, tagged sharks for years with a local nonprofit, volunteered with them. You know, great school, a lot of great activity, like literally tagging great white sharks and sharks for my own thesis. I Are couldn't get a, a job. No, we were in a boat. So in California, not allowed to be in the water with the great white sharks because uh, they're protected. But we were doing research and tagging them on the surface. So, you know, just a, I was thankful because the year I started working with them, they upgraded boats. So they had a 16 <laughs> foot boat. Then, then they got a 21 foot boat. And we're going to need times a bigger where, boat, right? <laughs> you're going to need, well, there was times when we were tagging 18 foot great white sharks circling the boat uh, in a 21 foot boat. And I'm, oh, man. you know, 19, 20 years old. My job is to keep the 7,000 pound shark away from the bait <laughs> because if they eat the bait, then we're done for the day because there's no other reason for them to come by. So yeah, that was a that was that was fun. So anyway, so I do all this stuff. Only job in the area, fishing game, eight dollars an hour, scrubbing boats, 
uh, and I couldn't get that job. They gave it to a master student because late nineties, everyone wanted to work at SeaWorld and, yeah. and play with the dolphins and, and the sea lions and, and all of that. And so I didn't want to keep going to school. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Ended up moving to Seattle, worked at Microsoft for a couple of years, thinking I wanted to get into technology, did tech support before that was outsourced. In fact, we all lost our jobs in 2002 to uh, China and India's first round of offshore um, for Microsoft. Like it was mm. done in the US until literally our final day. And then that's when it started. And then I thought, I don't know what I want to do. And a friend said, hey, here's a guy. He's looking for help with the mortgage company. Uh, and what's interesting is I grew up as a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer, anti-sales household. My mom was a banker and she's not a fan of that you know, slick, sleazy mm -hmm. salesperson. And so, like, so much so, I didn't want to deal with people that I would rather go deal with sharks. <laughs> That's how much I did not. Like, looking back now, I'm just always amazed how I got here based on where I spent the first 20 years of my life. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny the turns we take. Yep. That, that's excellent. And now you've got your podcast, you uh, have your book. How, yep. how should people track you down and find you in different ways? Simplest place is go to jasoncutter.com. That's a hub for everything I have going on from the book to the podcast, consulting, setting up a time to chat. I'm also really active on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, you can find me there, posting lots of stuff, chatting with people. So. All right. Excellent. And I'll have all those connections in the show notes for today's show. So you can find them there as well. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed chatting with you. And I look to go back and read the rest of your book that I got started and wish you great success in this adventure and then with your podcast as well. Thanks, Rob, for having me. And uh, so glad I uh, could be on the show and kind of share this perspective and help the, uh, the world of channel partnerships, which I think is amazing. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, guys, there you go. Some great tips on how to use authentic persuasion and how it can help you gain influence and success, both internally with your stakeholders and definitely with your partners. I've learned the power and satisfaction of being authentic, and I hope you do too. I encourage you to go to my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ61, and there you'll find links to Justin's website, and you'll find a link to a free sample of his book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. Okay, I promised a special offer on Magentrix. Here you go. Check out Magentrix at magentrix.com. If you decide to sign up, you're going to get two free months on an annual contract by using the discount code SPEEPOD20 when you sign up. That'll be on my website as well. Join me for my next show when I'll be talking to a channel legend, Frank Rausch. We're going to be talking about driving growth and partnerships with a 100% channel strategy. You do not want to miss it. Until then, take a moment to remember what you're thankful for. Count your blessings, as they say and have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.